This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Paraswap. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem. What a special show for you today. Actually, one of my first like evening shows that we've done in a while, so good evening. You're listening to Untold Stories, where and hopefully watching, where twice a week, together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's coolest people, most influential leaders, to really understand uh, where this movement, you know, how it came to be. And hopefully, and maybe, just maybe, maybe, we'll have a better understanding of where the hell we're going in this wild, wacky world of crypto and Bitcoin. Today, actually, I'm very excited to be joined by Mike Collier. Mike Collier, the CEO of Foundry, a digital currency group company. We're going to get to talk about mining, Rochester, New York, all different types of, of subjects that excite me. Michael, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. Charlie, super excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Okay, so we need to we need to tell we need to tell the listeners what's going on here. So for those who remember, maybe like thirty or forty episodes ago, we were recording not thirty like thirty episodes ago. We were recording out of for a month. We probably did ten episodes out of a Rochester, New York studio, but and we loved it there. And it was in the middle of nowhere, not nowhere, but it was in a very nice little town in outside of Rochester. And what's so crazy is that your office is literally like a few blocks away. We could have done an in-person show all those months ago. And uh, but now I'm in Florida and you're you're there and we're all over the world. I'm still yeah, I'm still in Rochester. I'm walking distance from your uh, reco- recording studio. So sorry to miss you. No, next time. I, next time. It's next time. And and we're definitely going to go back. My uh, my good friend lives there. Mike, you joined the Foundry as its founding CEO in October 2019. You've led business development at Core Scientific. We've actually had them on the show as well, which during your tenure grew into North America's largest crypto hosting company. You're the president and COO of Savage, a small Western-based New York mining company. So you like you really understood grassroots, it's like how to start from one miner to all different mining farms from, from scratch. And you've had your career uh, uh, from, from GE, uh, private equity-backed startups, and now you are uh, CEO of Foundry. And we're going to be talking about mining. You guys do a lot of different things, helping a lot of companies you know, get into the institutionalization of mining. But really, what I want to first understand is, why, why are companies coming to you and wanting to mine, why don't people, you know, you, you see you see two different paths that regular regular folks like you and I or institutions take, whether it's putting Bitcoin on your balance sheet, holding Bitcoin, or actually mining it. Why would someone want to mine it over simply buying and holding it? You know, Charlie, uh, Barry Silbert, the founder of uh, DCG, is also the founder of Foundry. And he, uh, a few years ago, said, look at institutional money is going to come into Bitcoin and institutional money is going to come into the mining space. And it was, it's kind of the wild, wild West from, from a mining perspective. And he said, we need to, we need to um, help start to, to clean it up and help these institutional players get into, get into mining. Cause they're going to want to do it. And I think, so why do people get into mining? It's a great question because sometimes people will come up to me and be like, oh, I want to be a miner. And I'm like, it's the hardest probably... thing to do. Uh, yeah. I'm like, you probably should just buy Bitcoin, like just buy Bitcoin and sit on it. On the mining side, I think there's this, for me, at least, it was a very personal when I, when I started down my Bitcoin journey, the mining just made the most sense to me. Like I understood that the infrastructure had to be built out first and the idea of being part of that infrastructure build just 
attracted me to the space. You know, I, I viewed it, you know, I was in college when the internet came out. So I'm a lot older than most of the people in the crypto space. And I remember like the, all the war stories of building out the internet, right. All the ISPs. And, and I felt like, man, Bitcoin mining to secure the network, it's got to be done in a decentralized way. And it's gonna be done on a global basis. And it's just kind of cool to be part of it. Um, so I think people get attracted to just that concept of like, I want to participate in this and this is a good way for me to participate. There's like an old economic ter- uh, uh, saying that I used to hear. It's the closer you are to the money printer, you know, the more benefits you get or something like that. And yeah. so I guess the, is, I, is the same concept hold true here? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we're, we make the, these machines make money, right? It's like having a money tree. And, you know, I, I view it very much like what it, what it must have been like for like the folks going out to chase the, the gold rush or, you know, West Texas wildcatters drilling for oil. You know, there's this like there's an element of greed that's in there. And like if you can get there first and you can find it, you can make a lot of money. And so I think there's kind of that overtone to the Bitcoin mining where people view they have some sort of economic advantage and they and they want to chase it right they got cheap power they've got access to machines um and they're still they just, in the second inning though i feel like with when it when it comes to that how so what do you, how so so i'm always trying to understand where we are in so we're equating this to like the gold rush you know I actually just watched a a document in the dentist office of all places. I watched the documentary this morning about uh, cattle cattle driving in West Texas and how that came to be. So you're right. There's all these different kind of like societal shifts and changes. Yes. But if that's what this is, which I believe it is, it's still so early because oh, it's, it's not even there. It's second inning. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm i not even sure the game started yet because <laughs> we're, you know, so I've been in the mining space for about four years. When back in 2017, early seven, mid 17, if you were deploying two or three million dollars into the mining space, you were like one of the biggest miners. And and today we've deployed over 300 million dollars in the last 12 months in the North American mining space, right? So the numbers are are crazy, and the next cycle of this, it's going to get even bigger, right? Um, and we can't even imagine it, right? This thing is moving towards the big energy companies are going to be engaged in it. I think nation states are going to have a strategy around mining. It's going to become a critical part of the infrastructure for the world. But it's it's a world infrastructure now, not a one country owned infrastructure where everyone kind of has a stake in it. Now, this, you know, if you're talking about countries having a national mining strategy, they're mining on this network that they all want its integrity to remain, to have, to have integrity. They don't want it to collapse. So it's like when we're looking at mining as a, uh, uh, for, for, for the, if we're looking at mining as it relates to printing money, that's one thing. I always viewed mining as this almost, you're a gladiator and there's like a huge moral responsibility that comes with mining because you are, especially when it comes to Bitcoin, almost that you're securing the network. Of course, you have nodes and other types of checks and balances. I always felt there was a, it was a moral responsibility as well. Yeah, so I would say a lot of people get into mining initially because 
they they think it's a money printer, right? And those that survive and they're that stay the long term, make it through the ups and downs of the market. Um, they stay because it's really def- we're defending the Bitcoin network. Like I, I really like for me personally. Like people ask me, what do I do? I say, well, I, I defend the Bitcoin network, right? And that was, you know, part of what we wanted to do when we launched the company was we said, hey, what where can we add the most value in the space? And we felt that there was a negative narrative that China controlled Bitcoin through mining, right? They had all the hash rate, they had the pools, they made the machines. And we said, let's, let's focus on getting as much hash rate into North America as we could. Um, and of course, you know, uh, we had a lot of success with that. Then you had the companies like Riot. I think you had Jason on the other day. Yep. Um, Core Scientific, Compute North. I mean, these guys were all building um, during the crypto winter, which set up a really nice stage for us to get machines into North America, get to the front of the line. And then, of course, China shut down mining, right? So they just, they, and I would argue it's one of the biggest attacks on Bitcoin in a long yep. time. And it's not getting, there's, there's, no one's really talking about it that way. But when they banned mining, it was like, what, what's going to happen to Bitcoin? This was everyone's biggest worry. And you know what happened? Nothing. We didn't even skip a beat. Like, no hash rates deal. recovering. It's beautiful. It, and hash rates recovering. It's un, it's unbelievable how resilient the the marketplace is. I was just writing. What I was just kind of writing it down because I don't want to interrupt you. But is that China's mining policy now? You're saying that nation states are going to have strategies and policies where where where, where if that's thawing, it's happening. But I mean, that's a huge statement that they made right there. Yeah, so I think it caught it caught me off guard for sure because they've always threatened it, right? Like year in, year out, you always hear about mine, China going to shut down mining. This time around, they really clamped down on mining. And I think it was a big strategic misstep on their part. And look at it, it's yeah. China. They could reverse course any day, right? Like literally it could, it could turn around and they could open it back up. Um, I think at some point they're going to, they're going to have to, um, but they're losing a big advantage that they had. Um, and I think it, it was a, yeah. a big misstep on their part. So I think it was Naval Ravikant who said that whatever China bans invest in. Yeah, there and you it's go. great. It's like he said, but he said that 10 years ago in a right. room somewhere, I heard him say it or whatever, but it's, he's never been wrong. So it doesn't make, so I guess I was, th- I was going to ask you. And we kind of answered it, but I want to ask you anyways, all these countries, nation states are going to have different mining strategies. And I know it's true. Like, like, look, I've had mayors on this show who are talking about mining Bitcoin in City Hall. I've had uh, presidents, uh, someone who actually was on the show, he was just a governor in India. Now he's the deputy prime minister, I think. Um, uh, So, I mean, and he was talking about mining Bitcoin on national level. So it's happening. It's happening. And I know you probably speak to folks who you can't even say. We know it's happening. But what I can't fathom is they're all mining for either one of two reasons, to control this thing as a hedge for their own. So like a government will say, we need to mine this thing because this thing is going to exist and we need to have a stake in it. Even if we don't like it or care about it, we need a stake in it. Or like it could be even like El Salvador that actually potentially or another country that wants to use it uh, to, to earn income for their citizens. And you can see potential of that down the road. I don't, I can't fathom all countries around the world just agreeing on this one network, even though they don't own it. Like there has to, 
countries have always had this like one against each other competing. I can't see Russia, China, and America, the Taliban, and Norway all mining on this one network together. I don't see, can you? Well, that's what's happening today. It's what's happened for the last 10 years, right? It's crazy. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's a new world order. I hate to say it. You know, it's an interesting way. I do. I do think we are slowly reorganizing ourselves as, as humans, and it's going to take decades for it to kind of all play out. Probably won't even be in my lifetime, but this is the beginning. We now have something we can rally around as humans. And we, and that's what I love about the Bitcoin community is look, we are all in this together. We're all in it for a much bigger purpose and it's global. Um, so you can talk to Bitcoin miners, whether it's West Texas or North Dakota or Kazakhstan or Russia or China, we, everyone is super passionate about building out the best mining facility they can. And look at the, the Bitcoin, not every nation is going to be into Bitcoin mining because the Bitcoin algorithm is ruthless in its drive for the lowest cost. Yeah, it is. So only the people that have a low cost competitive advantage can mine Bitcoin successfully long, long. So the countries where that can produce power in a renewable fashion okay. at low cost, they're the ones that are going to be mining Bitcoin. Now that opens it up to a lot more people than let's say where you discover oil, right? Like oil is, is in certain places on the planet that's easily accessible. And those places get the benefit of being sitting on top of oil, you know, with Bitcoin mining, you, you know, it, I, I firmly believe Bitcoin mining is a bridge to renewable energy future, and it's going to help build out more renewable energy uh, production. And those countries that recognize that will be co-locating Bitcoin mining with massive solar farms, and they're going to they're going to get a step ahead of their neighboring countries. You mentioned one thing that is very rarely mentioned, and that is uh, the machines where everyone assumes that you can just buy this binary equipment and you'll just be mining until, you know, you can like replace a carburetor as long as you can run a car. No, there is actually the machines, what would you say, six months to they operate at somewhat at the maximum efficiency. And then they're basically, you move them on. I mean, there, and there is a, a, a supply chain bottleneck always there has been for since the advent of Bitcoin. So you're right. I guess it's like, there's going to be constant, uh, uh, competition with this. Yeah, absolutely. So what a couple of things have changed in the on the machine side. One, you know, in the early days when ASICs first came out, they were jumping um, uh, wafer nodes quickly. So you could buy a machine and literally four months later, a new machine was going to come out that would make the old one obsolete. The bit mains and micro BTs in the space, they have caught up to the latest node technology. So now they're competing with Apple um, for the latest chips. So, so the machines don't get, they have a longer life cycle, but now what we're running into is just capacity of wafers to be able to build, to build more equipment. So it's been difficult to get your hands on equipment. And um, that was one of the things that we did, you know, early 2020 when COVID was rolling out and we were getting our business off the ground. you know, we, we decided we wanted to provide equipment financing to miners in North America because they were cash poor and we wanted to help them get more miners. 
And, uh, and Barry's like, well, if you're going to provide equipment financing, you better have equipment. And he goes, you better buy machines. I said, all right, how many? And he goes, I don't know, buy as many as you can. And, uh, and that's the amazing thing with Barry is he doesn't, you know, typically doesn't bet small. So he is such a visionary. Like I'll never forget the early meetings with, with Eric Voorhees, Barry and myself, uh, uh, in that coffee shop in, in, um, in the, uh, why am I forgetting? We were right there on 23rd and Broadway in Silicon Alley. And that's when Barry first found out about Bitcoin. And it was just, uh, I, when, when, I, when I would meet people in those days and see the light bulb go off in their head, it was one thing. But when he understood Bitcoin, <laughs> when, when, when Eric and I explained it to him and he really understood it, he never stopped. And I've, I, he's still one of the only people who's, you know what I like about him? He's unapologetically pure to himself. And I like people like that. I like people that are like very authentic. no authentic yes. and you know what you're going to get. I like, yep. I, I'm so sick of people. You don't know what you're going to get. I see them in Florida sometimes. No, I love my Floridian friends. Please don't hate me. But sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. New Yorkers, you know what you're going to get. I grew up in New York. Crazy, yeah, he's crazy been, stuff. he's been, um, it's a pleasure to work for him. Uh, he's got a long-term vision. He's, you know, he's basically said, go build a business for the next 10 to 20 years. He doesn't care what happens this quarter, next quarter, this year, next year. He says, make some mistakes. Um, and he's, he's building businesses that help move the whole industry forward. And that's, it's super, um, it's just, it's, fun. yeah. And, but he's still doing it. That's the thing. A lot of it, it's very easy to, to be in the industry for a few years and get burned out or just jaded or something. But I mean, 10 years on, he's still I, as gung ho as he was back then. I feel like I talk to him almost every day. Like he's very much engaged in the business. It's amazing. I love it. He's inspiring to me. He's very inspiring. Yes. Yeah. It's so the you know, the next thing we did was we built out a pool. Um, so we now have the largest Bitcoin mining pool outside of China, uh, which is a really, really hard thing to pull off. And it was super important for us uh, because the, the Chinese dominated the pool space. Um, so we've been uh, working really hard to, to get a pool. Um, we, we believe you have to be in the top five to survive. It requires, yeah. you know, super deep pockets, but we wanted to provide a pool that had, you know, the utmost transparency. Um, cause it just felt like you're mining into a black box with the Chinese pools. You never knew if you're really getting paid properly. And, uh, we felt like these publicly traded companies were going to need a good partner on the pool side. So we've, we've put, you know, a big, big investment um, in on the pool side. And that's been, that's been fun. It's been exciting to see that kind of evolve over time here. So, so you're bringing up a lot of topics um, and I want to make sure I cover everything here. I'm, I'm excited. So there's um, 99% of miners probably are mining, you know, on a pool, maybe even almost all mining yeah. w- within a pool system. Um, what you're talking about is the ability to have cleaner payouts, right? When it comes to knowing what the hash rate you're putting in versus what you're actually getting out, there needed to be more transparency there. And that's come a long way. What about the technology as it relates to the machine maintaining their own hash rate voting ability? When it comes to software changes, I guess that's my biggest fear. Maybe just I'm an old school Bitcoiner. Do people even talk about or care about that anymore? Yeah. So I, so for us, you know, we fully support that concept. Um, more decentralization is better in our mind. 
Um, and even, you know, even with the hash rate, my big concern right now is, hey, China had a lot of the hash rate. The winds have shifted to North America. We can't end up with North America having 60% sure. of the hash rate. That's just as bad as China having 60% of the hash rate. So I'm a firm believer in decentralization. Um, and I think on the pool side, um, you know, there's Stratum V2. We'd love to um, figure out how to make that a reality. Um, right now, there's, you know, there's firmware issues on the machine, so, which makes it rather challenging to kind of overcome that piece right now. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. You need like Bitmain and MicroBT to get on board with some of these concepts. And I can't believe Bitmain's still around after all this time. Well, they had, it's a whole new board. It's a whole new company, right? It's, it's like it's basically Bitmain company. version two. Yeah, it really is. It's amazing. That was, yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, that's what I love about, that's what I love about Bitcoin is the resilience, right? Like you think of the 2017, the attack on Bitcoin and, and, uh, and, and how that's played out, right? Bitcoin cash. And then those guys all got in a fight and you got Bitcoin. Bitcoin SV, SV, and, yeah, it was all... and it's really, it's like the, none of that matters anymore. Right. It's just, it's gone, it's gone to the wayside, even with a pool. I was like, when you're, when you're running a pool, like we're basically an insurance contract for the miners, right? Like these miners give you a hash rate. They want a guaranteed payout. So we guarantee the payout. But whether we mine a block or not is purely based on luck. Like it's impossible to game yeah. it. And, and, and it's just, it's one of those things that makes Bitcoin a beautiful, like they, the white paper is just a, just a beautiful. Um, you guys host it mitten. too, I saw. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, there's how no well such thing. There's no such thing as being one percent closer to a block. You can't. No. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's, it's like flipping a coin. It's basically <laughs> what it is. It's pure luck. It's pure luck. And so it's, it's unreal. So you gotta have deep pockets to pull to be a big pool. You have to have very deep pockets. I mean, we can we can swing just huge amounts of Bitcoin from day to day in terms of what is mined and not mined. And, Sorry to interrupt your regular scheduled programming, but I wanted to tell you guys that if you're using PancakeSwap, Uniswap, DYDX, SushiSwap, you're doing it wrong. You need to be using PowerSwap because PowerSwap is a user interface, a decentralized smart contract platform that sits on top of all of these. And when you go to PowerSwap or untoldstories.link forward slash PowerSwap, because they're refunding your gas. If you go there, then you'll be able to, on top of Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain and Polygon look for the best prices for your tokens and swap and do everything in one predefined transaction on chain. Instead of having to do the approval to this token, to that token, to do all these different things, Paraswap does it all for you. It's decentralized. They just released their API version five that you can see everything. It's all open source. Very cool stuff. Untoldstories.link forward slash Paraswap. If you're using any of the other decentralized protocols, you're doing it wrong because you need to be using the routing, beautiful Paraswap routing system, and it's fully decentralized too. It's gorgeous. I'll talk to you guys soon. Is there a vertical integration? Like, is it the same person owning every step of the way who gets to decide turn the machine on and then gets to decide where the proceeds are going? Or are you talking about like different groups of people and different companies and they're all 
kind of everyone does business with each other and contracts on the machine sell hash rate and have contracts to one company and software operators. Because I, I mined on the second ever ASIC on the network, but that was just like me on the machine on Ozcoin because Yufu needed a ride from the airport. Uh, um, um, uh, Avalon ASIC. He yeah. sent, he had one machine and then he sent the other machine to Mike Hearn and I had the guy with the car. That's the luck <laughs> right. I had. I literally had a car. Um, but back then it was, I mean, but it's completely, ch- I need to go and, and actually play around with a miner. I haven't played around with one in years. I don't know what it looks like even. Or, well, it's still this basic shoebox yeah. miner, you know, <laughs> like the, the S19 is, uh, is twice as big as the S9. How's that? Um, oh, really? But, the, you know, the machines get more efficient each, each time around. Um, in our pool, we've got a lot of customers, right? So um, we, we service the majority of the publicly traded mining companies now. And oh wow, um, it's got HUD eight riot. There's a lot of them now. There's like maybe a half a dozen now. Oh, and every week there's more coming coming yeah. to the public market. BTCS, yeah. I think I just saw yeah. listed there. Yeah, Bit Farms. It's, so now it's interesting if you look at it, right? So so these publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies are basically almost like kind of like DAOs because they have one. Well, not DAOs, but these mining companies have one mandate: mine Bitcoin. And they're, and they're public. So the capital that comes in versus the capital goes out, it's all predictable, not predictable, but you can see what, how, you know, what the equipment looks like. You can see what the hash rate is. And so these public vehicles are kind of, it's country citizens way of investing in or having a say in Bitcoin sure. mining. So you can see publicly traded companies from the South African stock exchange to, to, to the Toronto stock, stock exchange, which there are to, to the, you know, even the Mongolian stock exchange, there probably is one, you know, maybe there's something trades there. And, and these companies can eventually start to compete with each other for capital. Is that where we're going with institutionalization of this? Oh, absolutely. And then I think the, the next wave is actually going to be the energy companies. So the energy companies are now waking up to the idea of, of mixing Bitcoin mining into their energy production because you have a large base load that's, that's intermittent. And I think that's going to be the next wave where you've got like the Exxons and the Shells and the biggest, the biggest energy companies will have a, an, a mining operation, which then just changes the game. Like it, that's just like, there's no stopping it. <laughs> I met a group of people uh, and I'm going to introduce you to them. And I met a group of people a few months ago. I didn't really, I haven't stayed in touch with them simply, and I'll tell you why, but I met a group of people who represented themselves as the large, one of the largest, like directly, not through middlemen and publicly traded, like directly this family that I met owns huge, huge, one of the largest like natural gas fields in, in uh, like Louisiana. Great people. Some of the nicest people ever actually so nice. He offered me a ride on his jet from one city to another, like just to talk like very nice people. They wanted, they asked me, it's like, help us, Charlie. We want to get into mining. Should we just buy, take a PO, like a purchase order, buy a bunch of equipment and throw it down Louisiana and plug it in to the data center that we can, that we already have set up already on the, on the site. What would you tell them? How much capital needs to be committed? You know, I think if you want to, so we work with a lot of these folks. We're part of our business is advisory um, business where we get these phone calls and we, we talk people through the process, right? It's like the old OTC calls. Like when someone says, I want to buy 500 Bitcoin or 5,000 Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah. So, and, and it's, 
and as you know, it's not that simple, right? Someone calls up and says, "Hey, I, I want to buy, I, I, I want to buy a hundred thousand Bitcoin." And you're like, "Yeah, okay, yeah, right. uh, just not that easy, right?" Great, let that's, me know how. Yeah, that's <laughs> so people call us up and they're like, "We want to turn on a hundred megawatt, you know, mining facility." I'm like, "Okay, well, it's not that easy, right?" So it's it's like a year or two construction to just to build it out. Plus, if you could turn it on tomorrow. You can't get your hands on those machines for six to nine months. And by the way, if you want those machines, you have to put the money down today to get those machines in nine months. Like it's a it's a tough long road. And if you miss time the cycle, you will lose all of your money. And um, so, so we we try to. Oh, I never thought about that because if you time it wrong and you're in a year long bear market. You can't just have the machines sitting off because by the time you turn them on in a bull market, they're basically redundant. Oh man, I totally forgot how much risk goes involved in this. Oh, think about it. like if you bought a Bitcoin miner in December of 2017 or January or February of 18, you pretty much lost all your money. And there were a lot of companies that that probably happened to individual <laughs> people a lot too. Of companies, <laughs> it's it's so. What I what we tell people is let's let's start with a pilot. Like let's we'll teach you how to be a miner, and then we will help you get into the market when the timing is is right. You know. So how is the having related to the timing? Well, it cuts your revenue in half, right? Well, so. well, I meant like <laughs> you know, it's it's been believed that mining right after a having or investing in infrastructure right post having would be the least risk because. At that next having, the price would have to be double almost where it was at that previous having for Bitcoin to to even be be still around. Okay, you you know how brutal this market is. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? It's so theory doesn't work. It well, look at in 2020 when in when Bitcoin crashed to 3,500 or whatever it where, wherever it fell to, we were wiring tens of millions of dollars to China to buy equipment. And we were, you know, 60 days away, 90 days away from having, and we were buying all the machines we could, and, I, and we were going to offer them for equipment financing. And pr I pretty much, the economics for mining stunk. Like it was horrible. And pretty much everybody said, look at you're too expensive. Uh, mining economics are not very good. The having's coming up. Like, I just don't think this is a good time to be buying machines, right? What we didn't realize was there's a wafer shortage. And when the economics turned back around, it was very difficult to get your hands on machines. Um, so like anything else, when you have to, you have to bet counter cyclical, I think, in the mining space. Um, and that's it, really tough to do, just like buying Bitcoin. Like how many people, how many people did not want to buy Bitcoin 60 days ago when it was 3,500 and then everyone starts calling when it crosses 50, like I want to get in now. And you're like, well, yeah. Okay. So I, I, I went to college and I, so I have a limited understanding of, of economics. Oh, that was a joke. I was making fun of myself. <laughs> um, but you're not reinventing the wheel when it comes to like supply chain risk, right? Other industries have similar type of situations like lumber and, 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 yeah, and everything, you know, silver and mining, like basically it's become so big that we have commodities futures markets. So 
could there ever be like a futures market on the supply chain of, or just like the future value of a mined Bitcoin? Does that make sense? Oh, so absolutely. I think that this is cool. I, so look at every industry goes through these phases, right? You can go back and read the history of every new technology that comes in. There's these boom and bust cycles and, and, and there's multiple boom and bust cycles. And we see that with Bitcoin mining, right? It's a boom and bust cycle. It happens to be much quicker than most other industries. I think over time, it's going to smooth out. Hopefully. And I personally believe Bitcoin mining will be thought of kind of similar to how we think of utilities today, right? You, if you're into Bitcoin mining, you, you expect a dividend to be paid out. And that's, and that's going to be the investment. Like it's going to be a good, secure investment with a decent return. Um, and that's, that's where the, the industry will mature too. I don't know if that's eight years from now. 20 years from now, when that happens, but it will happen. I mean, our electric, like who gets yeah. excited about investing in a utility today? Nobody. But holy smokes, a hundred years ago, it was it was the wild, wild west. I mean, they were stringing wires everywhere trying to build this network out. And people made a lot of money and other people went bust. I mean, it was, and now who cares? Okay, so I've I've missed the boat on on investing in Bitcoin mining as it like relates to my portfolio, what would be the most cost-effective way? Is buying a piece of a publicly traded company that mines Bitcoin like HUD-8 or Riot? Is that, or I think Core Scientific, there's so many of them now. Is that the best way forward? What should someone, you know, mining itself is not always a good idea. VC investing, there's got to be ways for someone to have a stake in the future of, of that Bitcoin mining utility. Yeah, so I'm pausing because my typical answer is just just go buy Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So if you if you want to support the network, buy Bitcoin. That's what it is. Hold it. Bitcoin, yeah. Um, if you you know ideologically, if you really want to participate in the network, um, you know you need to have some sort of competitive advantage, right? So even if you said, "Hey, send Mike, send me a, a Bitcoin miner. I could send you over a, a a Bitcoin miner. You can't plug it into your house anymore. You need a special location." It draws yes. too much power. Like it's just not, it's just not worth it anymore. What what Satoshi did? A lot of people kind of joke that Satoshi needed, you know, computer science degrees and linguistic degrees. And I joke that he, I think Satoshi had a degree or you know studied and the Ameri- the founding of America because because Bitcoin has so many roots. You know, I'm fighting it every single day. How it works? Just a simple thing of like checks and balances and proof of work. It's such the beauty of proof of work. You have this constant check and balance between nodes and miners and holders and businesses. And it's a constant where the integrity, it's similar to America where, yeah, we have different institutions that do compete with each other at times, but we're all competing for that same hole. You have different states. I actually heard on the radio, it was NPR out of all things today. It was like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if he studied America's decentralized roots. And I'm like, America decentralized NPR? I never thought I would hear that. Yeah, it works though. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's where we're headed as a human race. It's just my personal view. I, you know, what got me into Bitcoin? I read Homo Deus by Yuval Harari. I don't know if you ever read oh, that. Oh, I know book. that book. Yeah, Sapiens. That you know, he wrote Sapiens, and he talks about the 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 connection between humans and technology, and kind of how we're like, 
we're starting to work together in, in bigger networks and and it just Bitcoin embodies that um, kind of a first level principles and it's just oh yeah it's going to be incredible it's going to be incredible Te- technology exists because our brains figured out some decades ago that there's physical limitations inside this head so it <laughs> right. needed to extend its it, that's that's literally and what work and what markets do what markets do and this is what what I try to explain to people sometimes when it's when it relates to making money is that markets humanity our brains uh, uh, physics gravity everything it's all related it's always seeking you know molecules in a whatever molecules are in are always seeking the most efficient way to do whatever it's trying to do simple our bodies you know when you walk up a bridge. Every day you walk up that same bridge, our bodies become more efficient at doing it, uses less energy. And so that's, if you simple understand that simple thing, you can understand how the world works. And by the way, that's how the Bitcoin mining works. It's always looking for the lowest cost, lowest energy possible. It's the beauty, the beauty of, of proof of work. Yes. Um, so a question for you, actually. Yeah. You know, the other half of our business is on proof of stake. And we run nodes on about 20 plus different networks. So we're, we're essentially like the infrastructure team for DCG, for Genesis, for other institutional yeah. um, players out there. Um, so I've, it's, it's funny. I've got, I've got the most amazing team. We've, we've got almost 50 people now in Rochester, New York. Um, which is wow. crazy. Like we're like becoming a real Holy mackerel. I don't excellence. know 50 Bitcoiners exist in Rochester. New yeah, York. Exactly. Well, they all work for foundry now. So, um, but half the team are like Bitcoin maximalists and the other half are like these DeFi, yeah. you know, nuts, right? They I just, see where you're going. And it's, it's amazing. Some of this other technology that's out there. Um, and I guess my, so our view is like, like we're just, we're empowering decentralized infrastructure, right? Whether it's proof of work or proof of stake, um, either one works for us. Um, but it's just fascinating some of the some of the other protocols that are that are um, popping up. You know, some of the stuff was launched two or three years ago, and it's now just like conceptually, and now it's like real. You know, I've been, and it's like wow. I'm asked this question all the time. Um, where where I kind of put myself ideologically in this industry. And, and I've always felt that I, ha- I have the ability to kind of like forge my own label because I've been around long enough and, and have seen kind of people come and go. And I believe that over time, decentralization is a path. And there are a lot of things that you can start off your project. And I use that term project to encompass protocol, token, coin, blockchain, DLT, any term you want to use, I call them projects. Uh, a project can start off and be fully centralized. And I joke, you know, at the ripples and some of the other stuff. Right. But a project can start and be fully decentralized or be on that immediate path to decentralization like Bitcoin. And you have so many in between. I'm a holder of dozens of different projects, um, invest in them myself. But I'm always trying to follow like a similar ideology of ones that are trying to make the world a better place, but where even if right now there are very few people that control it, that the technology exists within it where it will be fully decentralized at some point down the road when it be able to do, you know, similar to how Eric Voorhees and Shapeshift became a full DAO. You know, Eric 
the company originally was a centralized company, but through the technology that exists with Ethereum, he's able to fully decentralize it. And I'm actually, I don't know, and I actually want to ask you this, where you think Ethereum will go switching over from proof of work to proof of stake, because that is one thing that has never been seen within our crypto industry before ever, like a switching from one consensus algo to a complete another one that's so different that basically gets rid of mining altogether, especially because how big is the Ethereum market cap now? Like crazy. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so we we're a small Ethereum miner, um, but we we stake Ethereum, right? So we we've got the we were part of the the Genesis um, block and the the nodes there, and and um, there's still a lot of challenges, I think, on the you know moving to proof of stake. Um, but they've definitely made a lot of progress. I mean, I've look at since I started. I w- I've only been in the industry for four years. And when I started, it was like, yes, Ethereum's moving to proof of stake in like six to 12 months. Yeah. And four years later, it's like it's moving in six to 12 months. Um, I've been hearing I, that for years too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think if they can pull it off, it'll be pretty powerful um, in terms of just the ability of these decentralized networks to, to morph and to grow and to change. Um, you know, I... People ask me if Bitcoin will ever do it. I'm like, no, like, no, <laughs> it's, it's simple. Bitcoin will always be proof of work. Do you, do you agree or kind of like understand where I was going earlier with kind of my, my ethos when it comes to Bitcoin and then other projects, tokens or whatever? Yeah, I think there's room for lots of, lots of solutions. And I do think that, you know, any of these, any of these new tokens that start out um, highly centralized, and it yeah. seems like all the winnings are going to a very few people. I think will fail long term. Um, so the faster the they can decentralize, I think the better success they'll have. Um, I, I also think agree. it's incredibly difficult to decentralize a network. Like you, I don't know. I don't think you can recreate Bitcoin. Like no, you can't. You cannot like the recreate conditions Bitcoin. Conditions were just perfect. Were perfect, right? And. Um, so it's really tough to, to make that happen. I think I'd like to like almost end, and I hope you agree with me on the message that I, I'm sure a lot of people like in your company, you say half, you know, or one side and half on the other side. I think there needs to be like an understanding that maximalism is created by maximalists sometimes to justify their own kind of existence when it comes to the hostility of it, the hostility and the personal attacking. But when it comes to like strongly believing that what you're working on is better than all the rest, I love that. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you look at the history of the world, no one thing has ever... It, humanity doesn't allow for winner-take-all. It, it doesn't exist in the world that we live in. Just the way we have through physics and, and science, it doesn't work. So how, why would it work now? I completely agree. I think. I think over the next 10 years, we're going to have lots of successful projects that are going to disrupt a lot of different industries and they're going to take different approaches and we're going to learn, learn from each one of those. You know, I always, I always love to tell people like in 1999, I was, a, you know, a couple of years out of college, I scraped together all the money I could. I bought $600 worth of Amazon stock. I bought $600 of Webvan stock. And I held both of them till today. 
Webvan went bankrupt six months after I bought it. And Amazon has been an unbelievable yeah, wow. investment. And, and then Amazon buys a grocery store, right? So Webvan was all about delivering groceries. And they were just, they were just 20 years too early. Wow. Um, 20. Could you believe that web van 20 years too early? And like the simple concept of grocery delivery, like yeah, they, they raised $500 million in 1999 and they went bankrupt. What do you do with that ago. money? What did they do with that, that money? I just, I have well, to they, do research. They started building this. out, the, they started trying to build out their infrastructure and then the internet, you know, then the, then the markets collapsed and nobody could survive the, the dip. Right. So I, you know, who's going to be the ultimate winner on all these other POS networks? I don't know. Will Bitcoin be here in, in uh, 20 years? Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, I completely, completely agree. I love, thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming on untold stories. And I just want to tell the listeners that you guys at Foundry, you have a, a, a Foundry USA pool, Foundry labs, which supports mining and staking of new, all different types of blockchain infrastructure. You have equipment, financing, and procurement, which is really cool. And you have your mining advisory service. So if you just happen to be someone who is sitting on a big hole, you know, land of oil, filled with oil under your natural gas, give, us give, a call. Like, give them a call. I'll see you later. Thank you for joining me today on Untold Stories.